Hi, I'm Sarah Reinhardt. And I'm Louise Brown. Formerly the Scream Team. Of the fabulous Scream Truck. And now we are the podcast, Adoption, The Making of Me. Please find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as The Making of Me Podcast. Also, if you have any questions or stories to share or guests to suggest, you can email us at themakingofmepodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's themakingofmepodcast at gmail.com. And our Facebook page, we'd love to read your comments and hear about your stories about adoption. And please follow and subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much. Welcome to episode three, where we'll be discussing chapter three of The Primal Wound. I think we failed to mention the author in yes. twice before, so yes. I will say it respectfully now. Her name is Nancy Newton Verrier, and this is The Primal Wound. Bear with us today. I'm feeling a little <laughs> we had hopefully some... unprepared. <laughs> yeah, we're a little bit. It's our first day having a, a guest that's not ourselves, and we're excited and nervous and a little bit like, wow, here we are. And thank you to everyone who's been following us. We've just been so excited about the feedback about our wonderful podcast. Yes, it's really exciting and fun. But uh, yeah, as Louise said, this is our first time with a guest. So here we go. <laughs> but, but first, as per our usual structure, we are discussing chapter three, which is called The Loss of the Mother and the Sense of Self. I thought uh, this was actually a very interesting chapter, psychologically wise. I, d- I did too. Well, I mean, I guess we can jump into that very first quote by the three Mahler, Pine, and Bergman, which is the biological birth of the human infant and the psychological birth of the individual are not coincident in time. The former is a dramatic, observable, and well circumcised scribed. <laughs> Event. Unless <laughs> you're a boy. <laughs> the latter is slowly unfolding intrapsychic process, which jumps into that. So it says that they subscribe to the idea that physical birth and psychological birth do not happen simultaneously, and that for several months after physical birth takes place, the infant remains psychologically merged with the mother. Did that jump out at you at all? It really did. The whole thing about the bonding, it was like, People think, oh, you have a baby and you bond right away, which I felt. But at the same time, they're saying, no, that's not the same. There's the physical birth and there's the bonding and they merge. I thought it was very interesting. Like, this is why kids who are maybe neglected at birth and all of that, it's just not physical touch and all that. It's really emotional connection. They have to have Right. There's that thing later in the chapter, which I also highlighted about the twins, one that was in the incubator. Oh, yes. That's like later in the chapter. If people read this book, it's about the search for this chapter. It's the search of self and the false self, which I found very interesting. Like there's the true self, like adopted children are looking for the search for themselves throughout their whole, even though you may have a wonderful family and feel part of that family and feel whole. There was a, a woman in there who said, I feel as if I'll never know who I am until I find her, meaning the birth mother. It isn't a genetic thing. It's who I am, more of a sense of my real self. And that's, yes. that's an interesting, because I never felt like I lacked a mother or a wonderful love. I had the most wonderful mom in the world, but there is a sense of something like, oh, just this knowing, I guess, that you can't sum up in words really. And they try to, but. 
Yeah, I think for me, again, you know, conflating my situation of, but nonetheless, like, I think I just felt this hole or something lacking inside. Which isn't just you. I mean, that's right. As I'm learning, all the people are writing us, it's like, oh, and it's nothing against how you were raised or anything like that. It's just a sense of missing or something. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And go on with what you were going to say. I so rudely interrupted. <laughs> um, no, you did not. <laughs> well, I thought this was interesting because, again, it just hammers in the point of, you know, because it just wasn't talked about. Uh, we yes. talked about this in the first couple episodes feeling blessed and lucky, you know, that you're adopted and blah, blah, blah. But this is as Eric Newman expresses a similar idea and reminds us that the human child requires a period of a year after birth, which he calls the extra uterine embryonic phase to attain the degree of maturity that characterizes the young of most other mammals at birth. Oh, that's so interesting, isn't it? Yeah. That's why puppies and different animals can be quickly separated from their mothers in a different way, even though they do it too young. That's why, because we need the full year as people. I mean, this is just really interesting groundbreaking stuff too. Just, I didn't even know about any of this actually. Uh, Yeah. Okay. What did you, uh, (laughs) well, yes, there was the part that says that adoptees may feel responsible about what happened to them. That actually struck me because you feel the sense of like, okay, I'm going to read the little section here that stuck. I don't know why it really struck me, but I thought, oh, I had this a lot. The last point might be what is meant when adoptees refer to feeling as if they are responsible for what happened to them. It might be connected not only to the loss of the mother, but to the loss of their own sense of goodness, their sense of self from the ideal state of self. So you kind of develop your sense of goodness and who you are. We know what the developmental stages in that first year. So you have this guilt that like, and not just, oh, someone put me up for adoption because I always knew my parents were very respectful about my birth mother and that it was such a brave thing for her to do. And she gave them such a gift and I never had any sort of animosity towards her or anything. I never thought that much about it, but I did always feel kind of guilty. Like, I don't know if guilty is the word, but that sense of, did I do something wrong or am I fitting in right? I guess like, Mm -hmm. am I okay here? Kind of that nervous trust which I don't think most people would know about me if you asked friends or child or my brother even, but I just had it inside. It makes you insecure. And yeah. the chapter gets into the insecure parts of trust. And I think that's why those statistics from the first chapter, a lot of kids end up being promiscuous, trying to find the wrong things at a young age. And that happens with a lot of other bad situations, war and death of a parent and divorce and all sorts of things. But this, a lot of adopted kids have those things inside totally inner battle and you don't discuss it because no one talks about this. Right. There's this thing that I underlined. There's always a feeling of not fitting, not fitting like a puzzle piece. Well, here's another good way to put it. One might metaphorically think of a discontinuity of the mother child unit as the breaking of a plate. If one breaks a plate, Mm -hmm. then glues it back together although there should be a good fit because the same pieces are used, there is now glue separating the two parts. That's interesting. Like a little, and I always like, that's interesting. You said that because I sort of glossed over that part, the breaking of the plate. There's also that analogy that like in Chinese culture, when you break something, put it back together, you're stronger in the broken places. I do think from that, like a cycle adopted children, when you do grow up and you if you explore this at all, and our next guest will actually talk about this, but you get into 
knowing yourself well and your both sides of you, then you are stronger almost as the result, not in the younger years, but maybe if you can make it to the older years and get through some of this, but it is like, there's a little bit of something between, right? Like Mm -hmm. glue. That's a good, I like that. We're not fitting the square peg in the round hole type of thing. I think we could actually just summarize this chapter as if you're adopted or know anyone is adopted or someone close to you should read this book because it's actually very fascinating. Well, here's the thing that I, that I really, really related to, because this is, she went and talked to some adoptees and it says Victoria uses her false self to protect herself. Ah, Yeah. And then another woman, Virginia gave a similar example. Many people see her as dynamic, dramatic, and extroverted, yet she feels small and lonely inside. Sometimes she is afraid that others can see what is really going on. While it's true that most people have a social persona, which they show to the world, it seems that the false self of the adoptee is more exaggerated. There's a more feeling of discrepancy between the inside self and the outside self. Yeah. 100% that for me. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm sure people that weren't adopted feel that way too. It's just. Right. This is a broad brush, but yeah, I feel exactly what you're saying. I could see that. Like we've talked about it before on our journeys on the screen truck, sitting there for hours in the <laughs> rain, waiting for someone to buy an ice cream um, <laughs> or late at night with the drunk people coming up. What do you have on this truck? <laughs> we've talked about that hours of like, you know, what is that sort of insecurity when you're like, everyone has insecurities. I see it. And I was a teacher for some time and you see it in kids, but it's sort of all the adopted people. I know we have the same thread. It's like this little thread of like, and one other thing I think is interesting. I was thinking about the people I personally know that are adopted and stories I've read. I feel like we're all, when we were young, trying to be the good girl or the pleaser a lot. That was a pleaser. The pleaser pleaser. is a lot of pleasers are adopted. And I never tried to be a good girl. (laughs) <laughs> I went through my periods that, of that, that ship too. sailed. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both sister. But <laughs> what is sort of the pleaser. And even in that sense, even if you're not being the good girl, you're being a pleaser because you're trying to fit into a group and please mm-hmm. that. So it's like, I just wanted to fit good, bad, or the ugly. And you just hope by the time we get to our age, it's all much good. Yeah, I don't feel as much like the square peg in a round hole as I used to. No, no. Now we can sell it. By the way, society has changed. We can be celebrated more like the anybody with different things. You know, that's what I do love about things that are changing. Things are more open now. So kids who are adopted can say, oh, I know my birth family was this and my mom and dad are this. And they can just be who they are sometimes. And that's a little bit, I think... You know, it just popped into my head. <laughs> Do you remember? I can't even remember when it was because I remember making up some excuse to get out of there early. I went on a date with that guy and I told him I was adopted and he goes, well, that's unusual. Oh. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yes. <laughs> I'm actually kind of remembering the guy who we won't say. <laughs> he was Poor a one date only guy. He is a one date only. And he then I, need I to be remembered. <laughs> It was like, and it was also a first oh. Friday on Abbott Kinney. And oh, I was like, oh right. my God, how do I get out of this? I have nothing in common with him. If he thinks that little piece of me is odd, there's no way he can hear Wait till he opens Pandora's box. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's someone we would have analyzed when he, if he came to the window, we'd be like, uh-huh, what's your <laughs> issue? <laughs> well, on that That's note. unusual. So yes, yeah, so now, now that we've wrapped up, have we wrapped up chapter three? 
I feel like maybe only for timing to give Gene time. We could really delve into more on the psychological part of chapter three, but actually people should send us questions, read it and have a discussion on our Facebook page. We now have a Facebook page and that's where we can take discussions and we hope to have open discussion from lots of people on there. Right. And maybe, you know, we can look into figuring out how to have people call in that, oh, that could be, be an right. episode too. So okay. um, we are going to figure that out. We just aren't there because we're in our closets and we're yes, <laughs> we're in our closets. I've got my Woody dog, my little dog Woody, who's <laughs> curled up in the closet next to me. So and I'll show him on YouTube here. I'll yes, you, you can it. watch us actually Anybody in our closets on YouTube. Him. Oh look, there at he Woody. is Hi, sleeping. Woody. I'm going to bring Duchess, and we're all going to have like fun in our closets on YouTube. <laughs> Okay. So we have a guest. We're very excited about her. She's our first guest. Her name is Jean Bliss Barron. And not only was she adopted, but she's also an adoptive parent. And I grew up, her sister lived across the street from me in my neighborhood when I was a little child. So that is how we know her. So without further ado, we will introduce Jean. (laughs) Yes. So here we are, our first guest on the podcast, Jean Bliss Barron. Really excited to hear your story and thank you so much for being here. Really thank happy you. to have you. Thank you. Thank We're you. so excited. So how we start, we just tell our birth story and then we might jump in with questions. Like if something jumps into our head, if that works for you. It's a great idea. Perfect. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> So, I was born in New York City, and I was born July 6th, and I was adopted December 18th, a few months later after I was born. And to be honest, I have no idea where I was for those few months in between. That's what I was going to ask. I'm not sure. And I was in sheltering arms orphanage. No, there's not a lot of orphanages today, but that's where I was in Manhattan, in the city. Wow. And I cannot tell you when I was told I was adopted because I don't remember that. I don't think I was sat down and told. I think it was just always part of my life, part of my story. Part of your story. Yep. And my parents were very open. I was born in 1953. And in 1953, people were not talking about adoption, but my parents were. And I was. And so it was something that I always wore with a badge of honor. I I can't tell you why, but I just always felt pretty special about that. But I know when I was in elementary school, I always, I didn't always talk about adoption, but I would throw it in, in a story every once in a while. (laughs) And I remember a little girl teasing me about being adopted. Mm. We we uh, have both had that too. Did you? Yes. Mm -hmm. And I came home, told my mother. My father traveled a lot. He was very much a part of my life, so I don't want to exclude him in any way, but he traveled. And I remember telling my mother and my mother trying to help me with words to give, but she wanted me to own this and, and deal with this myself. But we just couldn't get beyond with this girl. So I remember one time my mother said, listen, and my mother was a very petite, quiet, strong woman, but she finally just said, you go back and tell her her parents had to take what they got. You were chosen. <laughs> <laughs> so I did that. And I remember, I don't remember the girl, but I kind of remember the moment. I love that. That's it like... shut it down. It just <laughs> shut it down. And 
we moved a lot. We moved quite often. That was we were living in Kansas at the time. My parents were living on Long Island when I was adopted from New York. And I grew up in Kansas, St. Louis. And mm-hmm. when I was in high school, I got involved with a group of kids who were adopted. Well, actually, it was an organization that worked with kids who were adopted, and I was just kind of part of sitting around. I feel I feel it was just kind of a conversation. How did you How did you find them? Like, how did that come about? They yeah. found me through my counselor, my high school counselor. Okay, oh. I was always just open about adoption, and as a matter of fact, I remember a friend of mine who did not know she was adopted and found her adoption information. Oh my goodness. That's interesting. Yeah. Around 16 years old. Mm -hmm. I can't remember specifically the different conversations I had, but I remember she knew I was adopted. She was a good friend of mine. She found out that way and it was very hard. Oh, very hard. That makes it, we've talked about that, that we're glad we've always known. It's just been our story. Yes. Yes. Did she act out and have issues? Yeah. yeah. Did you have any at all? Did you, you always felt like do you feel that your self-esteem, that you had a lot of self-worth and self-esteem? I think that grew in my life. You know, I think I grew, my self-esteem grew. I don't think being adopted had anything to do. I, I was not a great student. I think as I look back, I probably could have had some identification with attention deficit or different things like mm-hmm. that. Now that I'm an adult, and we're all talking about things like that. I look back on my own education and I think that's probably something that could have been addressed. But I mean, I was fine. I was fine. I got through school, went to University of Missouri in Columbia, and then just kind of moved on from there. But it wasn't until a few years, I'm I'm living in Connecticut now, and I teach preschool, and I'm the director of a preschool. And this is my 30th year there. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. You're doing good work with little guys. I love, 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 love it. But And I've always been attached to children. I'm kind of jumping ahead here. But the reason I'm telling you this is that I always celebrate Adoption Awareness Month. I always have a child in my class who is adopted or was adopted. How wonderful would that be? That's, that's an amazing thing. Yeah. And so I've actually met a friend that's still very close to who's has an adopted daughter and found out I was adopted because I'm very open with my students. And I just kind of bring them all in to that story, hoping that the one child that's adopted will help Mm. my story. So in November, I read books and we talk and have conversations about adoption. And it's quite an interesting conversation because it often turns into, well, my parents aren't going to give me up. So I really have to kind of guide that conversation that, you know, they aren't going to give you up, you know. Right. (laughs) But I wanted to also say I married a gentleman, Andy, who had two children. Their mother was killed in a car accident Mm -hmm. and we got married and I decided to adopt them. So I do have two adopted children and one biological child. How old were they when when you adopted them, when their mother died and when you adopted them? I adopted them at four and six. And how? And they were four and two when their mother died. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then I had this 
That's that hard. Do we call? But in, the great part of this story is that the day that their adoption went through was the day that my son was born. Oh so my goodness! I have wow! In one, on one day. <laughs> oh, that's oh, that's neat. Actually, that's there's no coincidence in that. That's really yeah. special. No, and I, you know, I wanted to be really sensitive to them in many ways. You know, I don't remember my parents ever feeling. My sister Sue is my parents' biological child. They adopted my brother Pete, and then a couple years later, adopted me. My mother couldn't have children after Sue was born. So when I married Andy. Married Andy, Brendan, and Lexi. I always say that I married the three of them. I decided to, you know, I always wanted to have my own, or I don't like to say it the way, a biological child. So when Zachary was born, the birth announcement was from Brendan and Lexi that their brother was born. Okay, that's special. And are they all close now? They are, but they're far apart in age, nine years apart between the boys. And my daughter struggles. She struggles from depression and addiction. Mm. So we have been raising her daughter. So I'm a grandparent raising a grandchild as well for about 16 years now. She's 19. She moved. In oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's a full plate. <laughs> it's a full plate. It's a great plate though. It is a great plate. It is. <laughs> so through my November Adoption Awareness Month, I met a couple who started a program called AYA. They were the parents of one of my students, and it's called AYA, and it's After You Adopt. And it was a support group for adoption. And so I continued with that and became vice president. I don't even know. We had different roles but uh, of that. And we helped families who were adopting with support. And through that, I ended up being able to be part of some of the things that were happening in the state of Connecticut and Hartford helping to support families. Did the families reach out? Were they told about your group? And then they could, because I have several friends that adopted children and then it's more open now than your adoption, mine and Sarah's. Yes. So they could reach out and have that support, I'm sure. They could. And my group let people know through the groups that they were working with for adoption was how they found out about us. Okay. But I can't remember the name of the adoption agency. And it's still going on, AYA? No, they ended up kind of fizzling out a few years ago. Their kids got older. And, you know, I think adoptions become so much more open and there's so much more in conversation. Yes. I'm not sure exactly what happened. We talk about that, how the difference between, well, even you get made fun of, and I was made fun of a little bit too on the playground. Me me too. Sarah too. (laughs) Or just made to feel different. Oh, you're adopted. You're Um, not the real mom. Yeah. I've been asked that question many times. Who's your real mom? Um, Yeah, I hate that question. And I always say my real mom is Ellie Bliss. Yeah. It's it's always interesting to me that it's about the mom. Right. Yeah, I don't hear much about the dad. Well, that it, which you know, we've been going chapter by chapter through this book, The Primal Wound. Which I don't know if you've ever read it. It'd be interesting to see your take on it. But that no matter what, there's a wound from being separated from the birth mother, whether or not you're aware of it. It's always there. I agree. Yeah, I think the reason people focus on the birth mother is because it's easy. Well, first of all. The, well, because they went you. through nine months <laughs> of, of the choice. Yes. Well, and you've had a baby. So I wonder if that was how you felt when you had your son and yes. had that 
connection to someone biological that you'd never experienced before. Not only biological, but somebody that looked like me. Yes, exactly. We we all we both had this. Like, oh, (laughs) yeah. I looked at him all night long the night that. Yeah. (laughs) And and I didn't really get that connection of what it was like. Oh my goodness. Yes. But it was for hours. I stared at him. We we talked about how we didn't know that would happen. Right. I had no idea. No. No. Not at all. He's 36 now, and people, <laughs> oh, he looks just like you. And you're um, like, yep. <laughs> we found a second primal wound: empty nest when they leave. <laughs> Except for when you're a grandparent raising a grandchild, they never leave. Oh, they, never, they just keep coming back. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is nowadays so many kids, right? It's like in oh, and out. But we, what we need to get to. Your biological family found you at 65. So it, it was that long until they tell us. Yeah, that. tell us that. You know, when Zachary, my biological son, when he was three years old, he had a rare muscle disorder that would leave him crippled for a period mm. of time, a small period of time. And they, to this day, couldn't figure out what was going on. And that happened every couple of years. My parents had always told me that they would help me search if I ever wanted to find my biological parents' family. And I just never did until that moment when I had a child. I had no information about myself at all. As a matter of fact, when I turned 60, my husband gave me a surprise trip to Niagara Falls and at that, or was it six, I, whatever age, but you needed a passport. Oh, my right. Birth, yeah, my birth certificate is this small birth certificate with Jean Bliss on it, but nothing else. That became a bigger deal than my granddaughter, who we were raising as legal guardians with our name, but it had, we had changed it to Baron. It became a bigger deal, me proving that I was a U.S. citizen than it was oh. who she was. Because the state of New York was not letting adoptees get their birth certificates until actually about two years ago. That's just interesting and really holds up a whole segment of their lives. It did. And my parents tried. And, you know, I must be a very thin file in New York. And we couldn't find any information. Wow. Was it Ancestry? Yes. I mean, my stories are always quite interesting. So as I told you, (laughs) I have two adopted children and one biological. Zachary decided he wanted to, he was sitting around with friends, my biological son, decided, they all decided they were going to sign up for Ancestry for the kind of the fun of it. Right. And he did. And my son, Brendan, had signed up for Ancestry as well. And all of a sudden, Zachary started getting comments that Brendan wasn't getting. So all of a sudden, it became quite clear that my side of the family was finding Zachary. And whatever wasn't on Brendan's was not my side of the family. It was my yes. Yeah, that's so interesting. You don't really think of the... Con- you think, oh, they're going to tell me I'm from Germany and this part Scottish. and Yeah. What you forget is, oh, all these people are connected to you. They come crashing in. And so a cousin who was also adopted reached out to Zachary. And I can tell you my first reaction was, you know, I'm not interested in this. Uh And then I thought, oh, this is probably not real. I mean, you hear all of these things that are going on through social media. And I just thought this is 
this is not real. And she reached out to him a couple of times. And then I decided I needed to get him out of the middle, that this wasn't fair to him. So I wrote to her and I told her the story that I was told, which was that my biological mother's husband had passed away and she was being consoled by a family friend, which resulted in me. Some friend. Some friend. (laughs) So what happened? Well, the world got you. That's the benefit of that. (laughs) Here I am. And my cousin, Lynn, biological cousin, Lynn, had already done all kinds of research. She was very interested in searching. She had found my half-sister. And as we went on in the conversation, she was talking to my half-sister. That story is true. My biological mother's husband, yes, died in August. And my birthday's July, so I was conceived a couple months after he passed away. So that's kind of how it started. Did you find anything out about the consoler, your biological father? (laughs) The consoler. (laughs) That could be its own story. (laughs) (laughs) Should I tell you what I call them? Yes. Sperm donors. Yeah, sperm donors. <laughs> I did. All of a sudden, you know, on Ancestry, you have those numbers, and I can't remember exactly what they're called, but kind of rates how close you yes. are to that person. So I've got Zachary at the top, and then Evelyn, my half-sister, but all of a sudden, about a year ago, another half-sister popped up in between Zachary and Evelyn, who's my biological father's side. But I have met Lynn my cousin who lives in Florida, and my half-sister we met one time. And here's one of the reasons I never searched. As I did more with adoption, I saw and heard and read about families that have been destroyed yeah. by children showing up on the front doorstep that they yeah. didn't even know their parents had. Evelyn was told that I died. So I remember how old she was, but she's two years older than I am. And then I don't think my biological father's daughter knew anything about me. So she had to go around her childhood thinking that she lost a sister. Yes. Yes. And then now she has that, which she can have this relationship with you now. But that's a really harsh, that's like kind of like, oh, because you, you know, you heal that yourself your whole life. And all of a sudden, that's not true. Gosh. And, And she now has to live with this falsehood that she's been told yeah well people she was lied to she Uh, was lied to and people used to it's the soft lie right back then to protect people but the it never protects much (laughs) my biological mother had been married he passed away got married again that gentleman passed away wow then i was conceived and then she had a long-term relationship and so she had four children Five, including me. I'm the only one that she gave up. She kept the other ones. Oh. Um, mm, I have the same scenario. You? I talked mm-hmm. about it in the in the very first episode, but yes, five I, um, of us, and I was the only one. Yeah. Just relating to what you said about finding your biological family and crashing in. I have no. I my biological mom side found me. But I really have no interest in finding my father. So I have interest. I told Sarah about this in episode two, which hasn't come out yet. But it's more that he was a young kid who got my mother pregnant, my biological mother pregnant. So it's kind of that crashing in like, hi, everybody, here I am that probably have no idea. I don't know that I need or want to do that. It's a very... 
Gene, I have a question about your biological father, just because the story is so interesting that he was consoling (laughs) your biological mother. That's what my mother Your biological, right. No, my adopted mother. No, no, no. But I'm saying he was consoling your biological mother and that's how she got pregnant. Mm -hmm. How old was he? (laughs) Oh, he was older. (laughs) Okay. Uh, (laughs) That answers that by suspicion. She <laughs> had two children before that happened. So she was clearly aware of how this works, for sure. Yeah. For sure. My mother, that my mother that raised me, always had positive things to say about Ruth, who is my yeah. biological mother. And looking back, that was her way to just be gentle about the fact that I was a one-night stand. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And she was always just wanting to make everybody feel good about things. And I didn't hang on to that story in my life. I've made up stories about who my biological mother. I remember one time thinking, Ooh, New York City, you know, and I was living in the Midwest and I'm thinking, Oh, New York City, somebody on the streets, you know? All right. Here. I mean, I could come up with some great stories if I wanted to really make myself look cool. Because New York City, you know, when you're in Missouri and New York City. Yeah, we've talked about this. I know, because that's where Sarah went Missouri to New York City. Oh, Well, because my whole biological family is from New York as well and New Hampshire. And that I always felt such a strong attachment to New York. And then the minute I got there, I'm like, oh, I'm home, you know, without ever knowing that I actually was from there until much later. But... And, and, you know, I feel the same way. We go into New York. We're only about an hour and a half from New York City. So we go in, and I've always loved leaving, but I've always loved going, too. They're from Long Island. And I also Queens to, for me. Queens. That's <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yes. Rockaway Beach. <laughs> I always wondered, you know, because I you know, people could, you know, go into New York City and have a job and leave from anywhere. I didn't know if they were really from New York or from, I mean, I didn't know anything. So I think, I think it's kind of funny to end up an hour and a half from where they are. I yeah, think that's very interesting. Yeah. We actually, all three of us have the Midwestern roots too. My mom, my adopted mom, my, my mom, she was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri and proud Missourian. And Sarah's from <laughs> Missouri and you have, it's just an interesting little segue when I was reading that. I'm like, oh, we have another Missouri. I wanted to um, (laughs) ask about your brother, Peter. Peter. Mm -hmm. So he was adopted too. And did he ever find his family? How was he growing up? Did he feel, was he told the same special stuff that you were? Oh, by the way, I also knew my name. I forgot. I left that. Oh. That's a really important piece here. My name was Teresa Schumacher. Wow, my name was changed when I was adopted, so that lined up with Ruth Schumacher as well. Wow, Um, yeah. But Pete was always more interested in searching and finding things out, and he Mm -hmm. but he was told his name, but he doesn't remember it. So (sighs) when he got older, he was really interested. And when our mother passed away, our parents passed away three months apart from each other, and when they passed away, Pete became even more interested. Yeah. So he has signed up for with Ancestry and, and himself and is, I think, would love to search more. That's a whole journey, isn't it? It's so interesting. Well, and he's watched you go through all of this. I mean... Yeah. Yeah. So he and hasn't... He did sign up with Ancestry? Yeah. Oh, did. Ha- nothing yet? 
He's found some things. Pete lives in Florida. You know, we've talked about it, but I don't know exactly. He's asked me to help him. He's struggling a bit with exactly how all of this works. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> technology. Yes. 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 <laughs> Pete's older than I am. And yeah. I'm, I'm trying to figure out technology too. But, and know, I think it's interesting because everyone always thinks that adoption, th- these things, you you everything you want to know when you're young and it's about being, but really, I mean, we're kind of grasping all this. I mean, we're past 50, everyone's older than 50. And this is when we're really delving into it. And I think it's just very interesting. And I'm not sure how far I want to take this. I have to no. be honest. I've been mm-hmm. overwhelmed, underwhelmed. I don't know where I land with this. I have a great life. I had great parents. I'm not sure. And my half-sister has been in contact with me quite a few times, and she feels terrible about me being adopted and oh. the fact that I was given. And so every time we talk, she just tries to figure this out. And You don't need that figuring out as much. No, and I feel, I feel bad for her. You know, I do, that she was lied to her whole life. And well, it's an, she's got some, yeah, that's, that's kind of her journey to work. Yes. My biological family, it was very interested in me and I felt the same way. Like I really loved my parents and my childhood and my extended family. I told Sarah last week that, you know, I'm just extremely loyal to them and love them. And I've been more, I'm the pusher off of the close relationship, you know, because they have guilt. That's a whole nother story, but they have guilt around me or they feel bad for my, and I'm like, don't feel bad. The greatest life. So it's a very, but it's hard because there's two sides and it affects other people, not just the biological mom. And like you start to realize there's all these extended people who are affected by this too. It's a very interesting journey, this whole thing. And where you want to go with it is a personal, personal thing, like opening one box leads to another. So it's. And I never thought I would be here. And now New York is the, my biological father's daughter has asked me if his name is on my birth certificate. I don't know the answer to that, but New York is, she's still questioning this. Um, Oh, she's the validity. Yeah, yeah, the validity of all. I mean, she is. Why would you make it up? Is he an aster or something? (laughs) Which is who I thought were my birth parents, by the way, when I (laughs) fantasized that they were an aster. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why, but I did. I always say when I talk about adopting, you know, if I had any siblings, I would like to know my siblings. And if they had a really a lot of money, you know, maybe they could pass it on to help get my kids through college. (laughs) That's about as far as I took, you know, in my joking way about all of it. But it's it's a strange place to find myself at this age. It is. Yeah. I mean, just when you've gotten to this, oh, you're, you know, and you're, grandchild is now 19 so you've gotten her through rough patches and oh take a breath and then boom this whole other (laughs) and I don't know what to do with it you know I find myself not sure what to do with it well I guess what is when you don't know what to do do nothing yeah I think the answers come they come and you do what you feel motivated to do yeah and sometimes I'm just like oh let's write all of this down and and then I'm like, eh, just turn the page. <laughs> oh, speaking of that, you said that I, what I liked. Is oh, yeah, that we wanted year. to close with. We could talk all day. but oh, Yeah, this is a topic <laughs> that I could go on and on and on. About. Yes. But, um, when I was adopted, telegrams were being mm-hmm. sent. You know, I always say when you're looking up your age, when you're my age, 
and you have to spin that wheel to get to the year that you were born. Yeah. I need time to spin that wheel to get down yes. to 1953. <laughs> yeah. But I have a telegram that my grand, my mother's father sent to her when I was adopted. And it's not flesh of my flesh, nor bone of my bone, but still miraculously my own. Never forget for a single minute, you didn't grow under my heart, but in it. Oh, yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah, I love that. That's That's how my mom, you know, my mom is that way. Yeah, with me to, you know, just, you know, I'm like five foot nine and a half. She's five foot tiny, four maybe. She has Mm -hmm. dark hair and dark eyes, and you know, I have green eyes. And people would I say, you look just alike. (laughs) Uh I always look just like my dad, and we would just look at each other when people would say that. I always got that with my mother and she's a redhead and shorter, <laughs> but we, there was something about us. We just, and my mom passed last year and I'm having, you know, Mother's Day's coming up. So hearing that poem, I'm just like, oh, it's like, cause mm. you always say you're my special baby. You know, I always felt chosen. I really yeah. do. And yeah. I think there's a lot to say for somebody who adopts a child. You know, I, I have another thing that I'll send to both of you, and it talks about the birth mother and the adoptive mother, what the birth mother gave you life, and then yes. the adoptive mother gave you a future or something. I can't I remember exactly that. how it is, but it's, I feel lucky. I feel blessed. I really do. Yeah, that's beautiful. We love your story and, you. and that you, every year you write down your memories on your adoption date, which I've never done that. And I think, oh, maybe I'll do that going forward. I think that's a beautiful your um your adoption date is my son's birthday. Oh, yeah, we were talking about that. December 18th, yeah. <laughs> well, I was my parents had a Christmas card made with a plus little stockings, you know, my father, my mother, my sister Sue, my uh-huh. eat, and then a plus stocking. Christmas cards were being sent out around December 18th. So that's how I was How of, cute. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> so cute. Well, thank you so much. This has just been... I know. I feel like I should talk to you for another three hours. I'm like, I know. <laughs> we might have to have you back. Like, I'd like, love to talk to you about my relationship with my granddaughter. And I, do, I, I really want to hear that. I, that was... I think my adoption, my both my biological parents not being able to keep me, her parents not being able to keep her, have bonded us in a way that... Oh, I'm sure. I'm happy that we have that. You're now in the role of being that mom, giving her the future, her future. That's beautiful. We well, we'll definitely have you back because we're going to do different panels and yeah, you know. <laughs> Glad you're doing this. Thank you. We Thanks. are too. It's really exciting. <laughs> yeah, I get to, I think it's great. Thank you for thank you. Yeah, the adoption, keeping it alive. I think. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for being so open and honest and with us today. Making me cry. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. Okay. okay. Thanks, Jean. Thanks, Jean. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us. Remember, every other Tuesday we air. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts. And remember to find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as the Making of Me podcast. And again, if you want to suggest anybody as a guest or you have any questions or you have a story to tell, you can email us at themakingofmepodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's themakingofmepodcast 
at gmail.com. And don't forget our Facebook page. We love to read your comments, hear your stories about adoption, or just say hi and share and make sure to let others know about us as well. And please subscribe and follow. Thanks, everyone. Bye. See you next time.